everybody. Welcome to the Book Leads, Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jermillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books um, of my colleagues, my network. I want to know about books that they find value in that has shaped books, uh, shaped their lives, their careers, who they are. And it's it's evolved into a couple different categories. So the first category is where my guests would school me on uh, books that they've read that I haven't just to share that. The second category is books that we've both covered, whether separately in the past or specifically together for the series. And then the third category is books that my network is publishing, writing, putting out there. This particular episode, my guests and I are going to cover a book that we've both read. So it's a mixture of categories, both a book we've read, and then she's going to lead me through a follow-up book that those same authors uh, had put out, I think fairly recently, but we'll get into all the details of that. For this episode, my guest will be Amy Dunn. Amy is the founder of Dunn Talent Consulting, which is a leadership and organizational health consultancy. She offers leadership coaching, team building, training workshops designed to optimize capability and effectiveness at the individual team and organizational level. Amy is a certified master of the leadership challenge, which is an evidence-based approach to leadership development. She also leverages programs and assessments such as the five behaviors of a cohesive team and DISC. Her work spans several industries, including insurance, financial and professional services, high tech, telecommunications, academic, healthcare, and government organizations. Amy's approach to her consulting is shaped by her experience as a successful vice president of human resources and talent management in a Fortune 50 company. Amy led a nationwide team of 50 plus HR and training professionals supporting a $7 billion business that was driving explosive growth and, and change inside a complex corporate structure. This experience keeps her grounded in the real world challenges and pressures leaders face. Amy combines this practical experience and powerful development tool uh, to help people and organizations reach their full potential. So Amy, thank you so much for sitting down with me for this conversation. Thank you, Jen. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I gave the bio, but why don't you give us a little more uh, about the things you do today? And then I'm always curious, so I want to dig back into your history, not too far back, but I'm always curious <laughs> what it is that led somebody to where they are today. But let's start with a little more that you can provide about the kind of work you're doing today. Sure, happy to. So as you said, I am the founder and lead consultant at Dunn Talent Consulting, a practice that I founded to focus on helping leaders be the best that they can be, helping teams be as healthy and effective and productive as they can be. And then I also do work at the organizational level, working with senior teams on a combination often of leadership and team, uh, strategic alignment around their goals, and just general organizational effectiveness sorts of issues. So I do a lot of work with clients uh, directly that are my own, if you will. I also partner with a number of other firms and consultants and to where, where my expertise is perhaps complementary to theirs, which is a source of great joy in my work. I love collaborating with others. So, yeah, the question I always ask, just because I'm always curious about it, is what is it What is it out of your background, whether it was family, education, um, a random moment in time, what was it that put you on the path first to HR and then mm -hmm. to the leadership development uh, work that you do today? What was that? What was that moment? Because I'm always curious how it 
how those moments in the past impact or make the person that I'm speaking to. So what was it in your past that stands out as kind of putting you on this path? Yeah. So my story, a big aha, that was a big turning point for me happened in college. I went to the University of Connecticut and I was in their early childhood education uh, program. I loved psychology and human development and was very taken by the idea that so much of human development and our personality forms from birth to five. And so I thought, well, if I want to have an impact, I just go right to the source, right? I want to work with kids. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) made sense, right? Um, So I was in the program and part of what they do very wisely is to have you do an, an internship or practicum in the classroom. And in this case, they had students do it. I think they still do at what is, they, they call it the child labs, which is essentially the daycare center on site for faculty and staff at the university. So you work in the daycare setting. And I enjoyed it. And I was, you know, I loved being around the kids. But the first time I had a formal evaluation from my uh, mentor who was supervising me in the program, it was not great. And <laughs> I was a little shocked. And I thought, hmm. What's this about? But we had this fabulous life-changing conversation, John, where what she said to me was essentially, Amy, you are fabulous with the kids. You you get down with them, you on their level, you talk with them like they're real people, you help them explore ideas and really bring out their their confidence. And I'm thinking, okay, so where's the bad the news butt. here? Because where's that all butt? sounds good, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the butt was. But while you're doing that with one child, Johnny's fallen off the swing set and Susie needs her diaper changed. And Joey, you know, hasn't had his meds at 10 o'clock that are due. And you have to do all of those things. And it really struck me. And I thought, wow, I want to teach. I want to develop. I don't want to be a like an operations manager of little humans. And that's really what that work requires. And I mean, yeah. no disrespect. I have all the respect in the world for people who take care of children in these environments. But I just, it wasn't, it wasn't really feeling like a great fit for me. And never mind that, at least at the time, and I think this is still true, those jobs were, you know, virtual poverty level pay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a, you know, I was, I don't know, late sophomore, maybe early junior when this happened. And it was a bit of a wake up call. So I did what most of us do at that point in life. And I went and talked to all my friends about what are you studying? What program are you in? Oh, what yeah. You? Yeah. <laughs> and um, one of my friends was taking a bunch of human resources classes. And I thought, well, what's that all about? So make a long story a bit shorter. I took as many of the HR classes as I could without switching schools into the business school, which would have required all kinds of accounting classes and things that I really didn't didn't want to do. But today I wish I had. Um, and um, so I, I switched to human resources. And I, my first, uh, I did a, a co-op at Travelers Insurance and their recruiting area while I was still at UConn. Then went back to school for a semester, did some traveling, and then went back to Travelers and started in their uh, human resources development program, sort of a rotation program for HR folks, which was a great opportunity. Got a chance to work in recruiting and a, an HR planning group, a compensation group, and began my career as an HR generalist from there. So, what do you what do you think it was um, that drew you? And it's it's funny when she was talking about you know you're you're diving in deep with this one kid, but you know we don't we don't need to get them know them at that level. 
um, it, that just shows like what, what kind of a draw you had to psychology where you wanted to really kind of dive in a little deeper than, than you needed to in that particular role. But what do you think it was that drew you to that, the, the nature of psychology? What, it, what was it in your past that drew you to that kind of mindset? Is there anything that stands out? Hmm, what a great question. I just, I, I think I was just sort of born curious about the human condition and what makes people tick, um, what motivates them. I've just always been sort of curious. I, I'm an introvert by nature, yeah. but I think part of that observer quality and a little bit more quiet is I do take in a lot of what's happening around me. And humans are sort of, you know, <laughs> interesting, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, it's like watching. Uh, it's like watching TV every day, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure of a specific why or a spark there. I think that one is a bit more just innate curiosity and sort of desire to help help people and help bring out their best, their 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 potential and their joy. Yeah, it's very similar to my story, where you know I was an introverted as a kid, always observant. Um, I call it like this this quiet, this triad of quiet, where it was like lack of confidence, shy, and introvert. And mm -hmm. some people don't seem to understand that there's a difference between those three, that they're not all the same thing. But between that trifecta um, or with that trifecta, it was just a matter of, all right, you know, you're just observing more and more, you're taking in more and more. So our paths are very similar in that, in that, in that aspect. Interesting. Um, so why don't we dive into the book or books? Because typically it is one in each category. But for this one, what's interesting is you had reached out to me. And while I was talking about this series on social media, on LinkedIn, you had mentioned, um, I had mentioned that the book that I turned to, the book that I did episode one of the series on was The Leadership Challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, you said that that also would be your pick. And then, you know, we wanted, we got to talking, we'd want to have this kind of conversation and what's great is that you had mentioned that those authors, uh, first, you told me how much the leadership challenge impacted the work you did now, how much it stands out. So mm -hmm. I'd love to get a little more information on that. Why don't we do that? And then we'll dive into, um, I will mention the second book, and then we can kind of come back and dive into leadership challenge. But why don't you share with us what it was about the leadership challenge that stood out or how you got to be certified um, in their in their systems? Sure. Happy to. And yes, as you said, when I saw that that was your book, I thought, ah, he took the one I would, would have done. But as we talked, we decided, you know, we'll have this time instead of just the presentation, we can have more of a dialogue about it. So I'm very yeah. interested. In and I mean, to anybody listening or watching, even if you see a book that even if you see the book I picked or a book that somebody else picked, I'd still be curious to have that conversation mm -hmm. because I know, Amy, from your experience, there's a lot that you're going to we may draw the same things, but we, we may be putting them in different words or just translating them differently, all valuable. But I, mm -hmm. I, I did not hesitate at all to say, I wasn't going to say, you know, I, I already covered that book. No, I don't need another episode on that book because I'm yeah. curious. Everybody's going to read a book differently. They're going to take away different lessons. They're going to package it and utilize it different. So I'm, I'm glad that, that we can sit down for this conversation. Great. I love that. So Let's see where to start. I, I was first exposed to Leadership Challenge when I was a Vice President of Human Resources at Travelers Insurance. So I was supporting the personal lines division and led a team of HR generalists. And we had just been through a merger with St. Paul and the head of our leadership development and org effectiveness group, Fred Cologne, who I think you may know, um, 
came to me and other leaders in the HR community and said, you know, we really ought to be thinking about a combined language of leadership post merger. And as one way to bring these two organizations together to begin to meld the cultures and to get clear to our leadership, what's expected? What, do, what, what does it mean to be a leader in this organization? And he had found this program, the Leadership Challenge, and he told me about it and I was very curious and interested. And he and his team put together an executive overview of the program for senior leaders in the organization and their HR partners. They did a half day workshop and I was just blown away. I thought it was fantastic uh, content. So I read the book and fell even more in love. It really just appealed to me, John, in terms of the fantastic mix of research, storytelling, it's very practical model of leadership that I found really appealing uh, for lots of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into in, in more detail. But that was my my first exposure uh, to it. And um, as my um, career as a generalist moved forward, I became more and more interested in the leadership development, team building, coaching aspect of what I did as a generalist. And I decided, boy, I really want to do that more full-time and the other responsibilities of my job, maybe analogous to my, you know, the swing sets and the medicine back <laughs> in the daycare center, I was no longer feeling as charged and motivated by things like, you know, employee relations and compensation and benefits planning and things again, that need to be done and done very, very well. But I was trying to practice what I preach and find where's that intersection of what I, I love and I'm passionate about and hope to be reasonably good at and try to focus my energy there. Now, yeah, what's funny is when you talked about your daycare experience at UConn and that whole experience that kind of put you on a separate path. I mean, I've joked, you know, I've been cheeky about it where the lessons that I see when I drop off or pick up my kid at daycare are, they're transferable all the way up to the executive. So the the general lesson is there, whether it's about relationship or patience or sitting back and observing. Um the lessons are so common across those areas. It's just the the wording, the language, the vernacular that you use that that um that separates them. But um yeah, as soon as you mentioned daycare and and your experience there, I just it everything just ties in. I mean, I'll tell you, I went to a, a birthday party this past weekend, and it was all like five and six year olds. And what's funny with the pandemic is we've had a lot of um, online networking group discussions and people have opened up because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is a lot of people talk about how their insecurities today are driven from their childhood. I mean, mm-hmm. for many of us, most of time, most of the time it is that. And uh, I'll tell you that this, this birthday party I went to was the first experience I've had with kids that age, just because with the pandemic, my kids have been so out of the the loop as other kids because you can't get them together. So mm-hmm. it was an out, outside party, but you really got a sense for the dynamics that these kids are just picking up. It's like, yeah, I mean, you see where, unfortunately, like bullying, bullying comes out, what, what you have, what I have, what they have. No, you can't sit with us. I'm like, oh, my God, this is where mm-hmm. it all stems from. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's that was a great experience you had. And it's like we can't discount. It's amazing that you tried to have that deep conversation with with one of those kids because 
at that very moment, I mean, like you said, birth to three or to five, I mean, that's where they develop so much of who they're going to be. I, I So it's like a landmine. I, I'm very careful about how I, approach, how I approach my kid or what he sees me do because it's just such an impressionable age. I, I completely agree. What was the uh, the book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? <laughs> oh, I, I, I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah. It's an, an oldie but a goodie, but it's very much aligned with what you were just saying, John. Yeah, and I, and I, I too have been known to be a little bit cheeky about how my my time studying early to early childhood education has come in handy when dealing with executives at times, but, but it, it, it's being cheeky, but it is exactly you know, more seriously to what you were saying. Yeah. That's where our psychology really forms and whatever our fears and insecurities and vulnerabilities are, yes, they yes. almost always stem from some sort of childhood experience. Yeah. You put it much more eloquently than I do. It wasn't <laughs> to say that any executives or anybody that I've worked with, uh, with is childish or anything no. like that. It just, when you listen to people and you listen to their stories, if you ask enough questions, you get a sense for how far back certain behaviors, certain habits, certain perceptions of life started. So to me, it's just fascinating. So I apologize. It took us on a bit of a tangent there. But once you mentioned kids, I just found that fascinating. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Amy, can you give us a brief overview of uh, the Leadership Challenge? I don't know if you have the book there or if you want to go through um, the lessons in the book or the chapters. What's the best way to kind of provide somebody an overview? And I'm, I'll help you if you need. I got my copy here. Yeah. So, so I ha this is uh, the copy I have. So you've got an older edition. I love it. This is yeah. This is uh, the twenty fifth anniversary. This was from okay. graduate school, maybe thirteen, fourteen years ago. So okay, the book's so been this out a while. is this is the sixth edition, and they're currently working on the on the seventh. But you know, as I thought about this conversation, I think maybe the best way to explain the book is to explain the model because that's really what, as you know, the book does is walks through their research. So I won't go too far back into the history, but I think it's it's helpful. So yeah. Jim Cousins and Barry Posner are the authors of the book and the thought par partners behind this leadership model. They met back in the early 80s at Santa Clara University out West. And uh, Jim was brought in as the director of the executive education department. And Barry was always there, already there as a professor of leadership and management, and one of the faculty that was part of Jim's program. So that's where they first met each other. They found that they had a, a lot of common interests, particularly on the topic of values and how our values drive us, and also around organizational culture. And they began working and researching um, topics of leadership together. The way they tell the story is that they were um, part of a workshop where uh, was it was who wrote in search of excellence is that tom peters what's an old uh, book about the uh, the best companies they were they were benchmarking who are the best companies and the the highest uh, performing organizations yeah. and um we'll have, to, we'll have to look that up make sure i got that reference right along the way <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll <laughs> check i'll check yeah thanks well while i'm talking you you check me please <laughs> in search yeah in search of excellence robert h waterman and tom peters okay great thank you very much so i got tom right and need to give credit to the left office let's go on yeah yeah right so in any event they were um doing a workshop where they came on after uh, tom i think it was explaining the 
research around what into what went into what were the common elements of these high performing organizations so that other organizations could presumably benchmark and mirror that so what jim and barry decided to do is to think about well what's common about the highest performing leaders so they asked leaders to reflect on the, a time in their own career when they were at their personal best as a leader a time that they feel proud of something uh, happened that they felt was special was a um, circumstance that was uh, most likely challenging and they uh, feel like they helped produce something that was very important and had high impact and had them reflect on what, what did I do that helped contribute to that successful outcome? You know, what specifically what behaviors, how, how did I engage with people? What did I say? What were my actions? And as they worked through this process, they found that there were widely varying stories about what the incidents were, but very, very common themes about what these leaders did and how they went about this process. And it was the beginning of what has become a 35 plus year journey, fundamentally based on that idea of what is it that leaders do when they're at their very best. And over time, the research has been codified into what they call the five practices of exemplary leadership. And then each of those five practices have six very specific behaviors associated with them. So the book is organized in a, in a way that the first couple of chapters are introductory ideas around uh, leadership and their research. But then it goes into each of those practices and explains it in more detail. But they do it with stories and case studies, and they have a very entertaining reading style. So it's the kind of book that, while it is very research intensive and evidence-based, it also is an um, easier entertaining read. I'm not sure what the best way is to yeah. describe it, but it's no, not too intense. No, that's why it grabbed me because it did it did go, like you said, into data and studies and but it gave a lot of examples in each section, in each of the practices. Um and listen, in all honesty, I haven't read this since that first time and I still know that this is the book that I would pick as the top book. Mm -hmm. Uh but it gives a lot of great um you know on the ground uh everyday examples. Uh, which I thought was great because they were simple examples and there were there were various types of examples, but it wasn't anything groundbreaking. I like that they gave a lot of examples of things that you could do in the everyday, things that we come across uh, come across in the everyday. So mm -hmm. I think that's what stood out to me the most was it wasn't just kind of preaching lessons, preaching ideas. It was saying, and this is what it looks like in the everyday. And that was my, oh, okay, I've seen that before or I've wanted to see that before. I think you and I have said that this is one of those books where it's kind of like they put to paper what we had always hoped for or uh, maybe seen or thought. I mean, everything that they they wrote just kind of resonated with me. I, I love the way you, you spoke to that, John, and that it's very much what attracted me. You, there, there's a piece of it, and, and they even talk about this, that it's, it's, People sometimes get exposed to it and have a, at least an initial, well, this is common sense. And it's like, the answer is, yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> but it's not necessarily common practice, that's, right? That's what it was, Amy. It's like, this is like the first book I'd come across where it's like, this is what it should be. This shows it's not that hard. And like you said, somebody would probably think, well, yeah, it's not. It is. There is some good data in here. But the examples that say, well, that's not groundbreaking. That's not anything special. And it's like, okay, well, are you cognizant of it? Are you mm -hmm. using it correctly? Or do you think that way? Or is it just kind of 
something you recognize but don't practice yourself. So that's that's a great uh, point to make that um, people may say it sounds like common sense, but it was just a collection of all these points and ideas that just because something's common sense doesn't mean it's commonly used is something I come across way too often. Yeah. I, sometimes I think of it as the analogy of, you know, dieting and exercise. You and I could probably, you know, give a very accurate description of what best practices are there, but to do that consistently and regularly and to pay attention to your own physical health in a way that drives sustainable results, it's not easy to do. It's, it yeah. may be some common sense, but it's not common practice, unfortunately, in our yeah. society and many places around the world. So from a leadership perspective, it's that idea of, okay, we we know how to do this. In fact, you know, Jim and Barry will talk about with their leadership practices inventory, which is the 360 tool that supports the model. Um, it's a frequency of observed behavior-based instrument. So there will be a specific behavior described the person self-assesses, how frequently do you think you do this on a scale of one to 10? Almost never to almost always. But then you have observers, 360, your boss, some yes. colleagues on the peer level, your direct reports, and then there's a category for other sort of a miscellaneous use. And people tell you how frequently they observe you engage in these behaviors. And it's very straightforward, right? It's not do they like you? It's not, are you charismatic? It's not, you know, do you have a particular leadership style? Very straightforward. How frequently does this leader engage in these behaviors? And what their research has shown is that the more frequently leaders engage in these behavior behaviors, the better results that are obtained um, uh, in terms of financial measures, employee engagement. They've done a lot of research to connect these practices to uh, measures of employee engagement, which of course drive customer retention. And it's, it's just very compelling to look at it and say, you, you're getting sort of a, a recipe, if you will, do more of this. And the research shows you will get more of that. So by my way of thinking, I, I like the practicality of that. Yeah. I like the accessibility of it. If you read, and we'll talk, I'm sure more about the practices and some of the sample behaviors, but it's anything that anybody can do. You know, often when I'm facilitating the workshop, I'll, I'll talk about that fact. You know, like look at this list of 30 behaviors and point out to me the ones that require a special skill or that require permission from somebody else to do them. Or that require a budget. Exactly. Yes. That's, that's what stands out the most is that none of this, none of this, um, is like a major financial resource investment. It's just like everyday habits, everyday behaviors. And that's what stood out the most to me is just, I don't know. I, I For me, it was just the first time I really thought of leadership as a discipline was the, was the first time that I read this book for, um, it was the book that they used for uh, a class that I had in graduate school. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what stood out the most is just its simplicity. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing like that. Yeah, I think of it as sort of a, a contemporary classic in the sense that it's been around for you know that many years. Not 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 that you went to graduate school that many years ago. Oh John. no, I did. <laughs> I, I think people could do the math. Twenty fifth anniversary, that. and I went to grad school fourteen years ago. Yeah, no, I did myself um, in there. I didn't have to say that. 
Yeah, but it's so so the research has been around that long and they keep it fresh and they look at it regularly and other researchers, PhD students, thought leaders, practitioners also use their database. Jim and Barry, Barry are very generous with allowing their data to be used by others because it just strengths, strengthens it, right? Yeah. Um, but they keep it contemporary in the sense of always looking at what are the new trends in organizations and in, in business and nonprofits. This this model applies to leaders in all kinds of organizations and at all kinds of levels. Um, and maybe that actually is a is a segue to uh, just introduce for now the yeah. um, the other book that I wanted to raise uh, people's awareness to, which is also by Jim and Barry. It's their newest one, and it's called Everyday yeah, it People. Uh, this, Amy, I think t- there you go. There you go. Every see, now if I yeah. cover my face, I can't see it. But if you <laughs> tell right. me, you can see it. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Got it. Okay. So what this does, John, is it pulls together um, what Jim and Barry have been talking about for years: the idea that these principles of leadership apply whether or not you are in a formal leadership position. You know, leadership is a relationship, not a title, and we don't need somebody to confer upon us, you you are a leader and you are not. People in organizations do that. Don't get me wrong. I understand that's yeah. the practical reality of the world. But we don't need to wait for that. And most of us don't wait for that to begin to provide leadership in many different ways. Could be in community organizations, a church, your family. You, you know, you talked about what you want to model for your for your kids and to be very thoughtful about what lessons are they learning from you? And the reality is that is where we learn the most about leadership, certainly in our early years. We the, yeah. are the most frequent role models are family members up until, you know, you get further into your career. And even then it's still a very strong influence. Yeah. Uh, in the times that I've coached college students, um, this book kind of stood out uh, cause I've always been on the mindset of, yes, like you said, Amy, like you have the hierarchy, you have, uh, the organizational chart. Um, most would argue you need that. Some would argue you, you don't need some kind of hierarchy, but in any case, what's been fascinating is how many people I've worked with, uh, that didn't put their best foot forward, their best value forward, their best experiences forward, because they felt that they hadn't achieved a level where they would have, um, maybe I guess the permission to open up. They felt that they didn't, not that they didn't felt, but they didn't know that they could start working on their leadership uh, habits, behaviors, uh, lifelong learning before they got to those positions, whether it's a supervisor, whether it's a manager um, or even an informal, but still kind of revered uh, title position. Uh, it's just amazing how many people just leave so much on the table because they have to, they feel they have to get to that certain post before they can make any kind of difference where, like you said, anybody could be a leader if you have that one thing to share or that the skills to share. So many people leave everything on the table. And that's the part that's been eye-opening in the time that I've coached people. I, I completely agree. And as you were talking, John, you reminded me that for me personally, one of the first times it occurred to me that maybe I had some leadership capability or potential um, was fairly early in my career, and and I forget the details, but I remember we were there was some initiative that needed to get done, and it was a little bit loose, and nobody was taking responsibility for it. So I just kind of thought, all right, let me try to kind of 
heard some cats <laughs> and pull this together and, yeah. and see what we can do. And one of the women who later was um, my assistant for years, uh, coincidentally, but she was on this project team. And she said to me something to the effect of, Amy, I really like it when you're the leaders of these efforts because it feels like there's clarity of what we need to do and you keep people, you know, I forget even what she said, but just that she's characterized me as a leader. I thought, oh, I, I'm not the leader. I just help get this thing done. Yeah. But that's what leaders do, right? <laughs> exactly. Get exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just, we have like this uh, misinterpretation or misperception of what a leader should look like that maybe they need a corner office that they need like a certain uh, nameplate or a certain title. Um, and it's always on organizations as well to kind of look into those ranks, which, you know, I don't want to hop into or cut you, cut you off where you're going to go into this, the, the other book. Um, but do you, Amy, do you think it makes sense just to go, I don't know how that second book is structured. Do you think it makes sense to go through the five practices briefly if you think it does say, if you think we can set it up where we go through it with the leadership challenge and then say, okay, now applying it to everyday leaders, it's kind of the same template. I, I haven't sure. read that second book. So whatever you think is best for how to approach this. Sure. I think it would make sense to walk through the practices, but keep it high level. Yeah. And and really yeah. the answer to the question is the, the, the second book or the everyday people, everyday extraordinary leadership book is organized very similarly. It's okay. just that the stories and the language are more yes. directed towards okay. people who don't have formal authority. But in any event, so so let's walk through them. The, the, the practice, the first practice is called model the way. So what this has to do with is the idea that as a leader, it's very important to get clear on who you are, what you stand for, what are your, what are your values? What are the principles that you hold dear? Kind of think of it as what's your leadership voice? Where does that come from? And, and then to be sure that you are aligning your actions with those values, because mm -hmm. we've probably all worked for leaders who espouse one thing and then behave very differently. Lord never, never had there. that happen, right? <laughs> no, me? Never, never. <laughs> never. Sorry. And so what, when that happens, John, what do you pay attention to? What they say or what they do? It's always their actions. It's always their actions. Uh, you know, I've told people, even young kids, not kids, but graduate students, um, that same kind of lesson. Yes, when you get into a workplace, you're not going to have that leadership title, mm -hmm. but everybody is always paying attention to what you're doing. Even mm -hmm. somebody you may not interact with on a regular basis, but maybe they're in the same environment, mm -hmm. they are paying attention to what you bring to the table, how you carry yourself, what you share how you help, like all these little things. We're all building these leadership profiles where it's like plus and minuses based on how we do what we do. That's exactly right. And how you treat people, you know, that Absolutely. really talk about your, your personal brand, your leadership brand, it all is based on our actions. Yes. Um, so that's really modeling the way it, it, it has to do with you know, making it sort of easier for people to follow us because they understand who we are. And it matters less the details of who you are or what your values are and more that you are clear about them, committed to them and behave consistently uh, with them. And that is um, really the, the idea of credibility is fundamental to this work. And we get credibility by doing what we say we will do. DWYZY WIT is an acronym used in the workshop. Do what you say you will do. 
and people pay attention to that. So that's the first practice. And then um, the next is called inspire a shared vision. So what the research and the and the personal best stories and, and all say is that we really do look to our leaders to have more of a future focus than we might expect of people who are not in leadership um, roles. <clears throat> so leaders need to be thinking about the future, thinking about possibilities. What's exciting about that? What's ennobling about that? Why should people want to be part of the future that you're envisioning as a leader? <clears throat> but importantly, it's called Inspire a Shared Vision because this shouldn't be about you know, John Rainey or some other, exactly, you know, go on high and think big thoughts and come yeah, down from yeah. the mountain and declare, <laughs> here is our vision. You know, people want to weigh in before they buy in. They want to be part of it. They want to feel connected that something that I value and that's important to me is reflected in what I'm hearing. I can literally see myself in that future because it connects with me on a more personal and emotional level. <clears throat> Pardon me. So leaders are, you know, very focused on, on in, inspiring people to be thinking about the future, to be excited about it, because let's face it, work gets, it's hard, right? And there are times when we feel discouraged and uh, it can feel a little bit overwhelming, but we know that when we have a clear idea of where we're headed, why we're headed there, it helps sustain people uh, through that. It's sort of clearing up the fog for people about yeah. what the future is. Yeah. This was my first leadership class, I think. And this book, it just, um, as you're reading it, it's just like, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> like, this is what I've been looking for. Like, why can't any of the leaders be like this? Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you had mentioned it before, like, you know, that phrase of like, aha, and it's just kind of like each, with each page, I mean, there wasn't a, a page where nothing stood out. Everything just stood out. And it's kind of like, where has this book been all my life? Um, everything yeah. just stood out. And, and it just shows, I think it stands out that way because it just shows how much inventory we take without knowing it. So without consciously knowing the inventory that I've taken of the that I've taken of the bosses, the supervisors, the leaders mm -hmm. that I've had throughout my life, I got to this point, read this book, and it was resonating with me. You know, right. and up until that point, I, I always thought, uh, eh, they're a shitty boss, eh, they're all right. Like, okay, this person really gets us pumped. But I couldn't put words to what it was that I was feeling. Yes. And this is one of those books where it's like, finally, somebody's. I didn't know I was looking for this. I didn't know that I needed it broken out this way. It just. I love that. So, I mean, and that's what, this is the book that got me pumped on leadership. So I, I have a lot of respect for the way that it's laid out. And I love it. That's, that's so cool. But I, I love that. That's common passion we have around it. Um, and, to, and then, so that's model and inspire. The next is challenge the process. What the research shows is again, that leaders are continuously looking for What's new? What's next? What are the possibilities? How can we maybe sort of build a better mousetrap, if you will, to use that uh, that analogy? So there's an there's a curiosity, there's an open mindedness, there's a, a desire to make things better, but to do that in a constructive way, meaning, you know, I don't know about you, but I've worked for people where sometimes it feels like nothing's ever good enough and we just always have to move on to the next thing because it's the new shiny object and it's the new next thing and there's not a lot of continuity. That's not what this is 
talking about. It's also not talking about, you know, bet the farm risks. It's more small wins and try something new and test and learn and see, does this make a difference and help people build the confidence that, oh boy, if we change this part of this system and our users have responded so positively, maybe we actually can do a more thorough reconfiguring of this software, whatever the case may be. So it that that momentum that builds when people feel success and accomplishment is part of what this practice speaks to. And so it's creating its leaders themselves being willing to take risks and innovate and try new things, but also creating an environment where others feel okay to do that as well. So one of the current terms that people talk about is psychological safety in the workplace, right? Yes. And so it's similar idea to, do I feel safe to try something different? Do I trust that my leader is going to kind of have my back and give me, you know, guidance and a little bit of rope to try something out new? And if it fails, then what do we do about that? Does the blame game start? Or do we say, huh, what do we what do we learn from that? What you know, what what what's the postmortem on it that we want to apply moving forward? And so leaders who have that attitude and build those practices and behaviors in their organization, that's a, a lot of what this practice speaks to. Amy, have you ever read the the book uh I'm looking up here. Uh, <laughs> I can't you know with classes I can't see, but I think it's like leadership language or the language of leadership. I'm not sure. Uh it has to do just with, it gives the example, the, the main example that it covers throughout the whole thing is uh, a, a ship that how it was was sailing um, through the Caribbean and there was like one path where there was a hurricane and there was another path that was clearer and they only had certain time to like switch over to the clearer path. But it just in general speaks to the language that leaders use that would that would give people around them the impression that they could speak up, that there Mm -hmm. is that safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all it takes is using certain words versus others to let people know, listen, this is a safe environment where everybody can speak up. No one's going to be admonished for asking a question or challenging Mm -hmm. the process. So if you get a chance, check that book out. I'll I'll do a better job. I'll stand up and get the book (laughs) later and send you the title. But it really is... um, key because again it's another one of those things where you don't need resources you don't need a budget that you can shape the the environment you can shape the relationship just by the words that you use it's all free it's just being cognizant of how you approach it that's so important and jim and barry talk about that a lot the language of leadership how we speak about things really matters and uh, so I love that. And and if I may, what you just said reminded me of one of the things I always like to try to convey about this book to people, John, sure. which is that the I love leadership books. You could, you know, any given Sunday, find me in a Barnes and Noble and I'll get lost for hours in the leadership section. My 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 book budget is strained for sure. But what I what I have and what I, and I and I do continuously read. That's just who I am. And I'm always curious and I want to understand current thinking. What I found over the years is that every time, virtually every time I read one of these new popular books, I can relate it back to the leadership challenge very, very clearly. So the example you just gave apparently speaks very well to the idea of challenging the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Renee Brown's work around vulnerability and 
um, you know, being really true to yourself and authentic. There's so many threads that I see between model the way and um, enable others to act, which we haven't gotten to yet. But point being virtually every leadership book and even leadership competency model. When I go into a new client organization and they often will have an existing leadership competency model and ask, is this going to be in conflict with the leadership challenge model if we use this as a as a workshop and teach it here and ask people to read it? And again, the answer is always no, because yeah. unless your leadership competency model is really whack. It happens, but but you know, it there there always are ways to tie it back. So uh, in any event, yeah, forgive that's, my that's little segue said. there. <laughs> no, it's all, that's absolutely okay. Uh, that's what I had said in mind was that you can have leadership books on specific areas of leadership, but that mm-hmm. for me, this one pound for pound covers all like the high points, the all the great areas. Um, I don't think there's another leadership book that I have that kind of gives that broad swath of just, again, data, information, example. So um, I could see why this is kind of like... Um, like the root of all these different programs, just because of the area that it covers. That's a great way to say it. it's the area that covers again the practicality, the common sense, the research, all of that. Um, okay, so we did challenge. So enable others to act is the next practice, and what that has to do with John is essentially as leaders bringing out the best in other people, creating the conditions and the environment of of trust and collaboration that allows others to perform at their very best. Because at the end of the day, as leaders, we're one person. We can work 24-7, you know, not forever, obviously, but there's only so much output that any individual can produce. But when you have a leader who has that capability of bringing out the best in tens, hundreds, thousands of other people, depending on the scope of the of the role, um, that's the magic of leadership. That's the multiplier effect of leadership. So it's really, you know, helping develop the confidence and sense of competence that people have. That's another great book too, Multipliers. Have you read yes, that one? Yes, okay. I have. That's, a, yes. that's another good one. Yeah, this is another one where I don't know if people just have like this old school thinking where a leader is a manager and they just need to get the job done. But for me, it's like you should enable others to act in terms of think about the ripple effect that you're creating of of your values, of the organizational values, of what you want to put in there. And I think that's a step that a lot of people forget. I think when they when they when they go up in an organization, they get a promotion. They're just kind of looking up, you know, in the in the in the model of a org chart. They're just kind of looking up to that to report to the higher ups to get to that higher position without really looking back and seeing what they're going to leave in their wake. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And then the final practice is encourage the heart. And, you know, what that speaks to John is just the, the reality is that we're all human beings. We do have back to our child psychology conversation, um, a need to be seen and acknowledged and recognized for who we are, for what we do and what we contribute. So this is, you know, really about leaders making sure to pay attention to individual excellence and acknowledging that when it is displayed, Um, but also creating sort of a, a sense of community spirit and what are, 
what do we feel good about as an organization? And the best leaders are able to tie that back to the values and model the way and the key aspects of their vision and inspire a shared vision and help people feel like they're part of something bigger and that their effort in that overall um, uh, organizational vision mission matters. Yeah, it's so amazing. if you were going to say something a minute ago, no, just, what was you? You just, had an off high, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I just when you talk about this kind of stuff, I just imagine the people that the leaders that are always like, um, "Oh, that's the squishy stuff," and they just kind of have no time for it. Yeah, you know, they kind of disregard how impactful that is. Well, you have to think about how much time people spend in the workplace versus outside of the workplace. You know, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you know, people are enjoying their hybrid models or their, you know, 100% uh, telework models because of they get more exposure, whether it's to their family life or their outside life. Um, Yeah, it it just it's amazing how many people just think it's like about getting the job done and that's it. Delivering results, higher profit, increasing in profit, increasing in revenue, increasing in deliverables from quarter to quarter without thinking about. And then they wonder why people leave and then they wonder why people aren't engaged. And then they wonder why people uh, may badmouth the organization or even worse. Um, yeah. Cause they're not, and there's another, there's another book, um, the infinite game by uh, Simon Sinek. Okay. Like I know just, Simon's work. I haven't read that book, but they're just thinking of the short term. They're not thinking of the long game. So mm-hmm. to, to have that heart for somebody to have the, the energy to continue on for the long game, um, and I'm tying this into Simon, so this isn't his necessarily, but yeah. um, in short, if you want somebody, if you want a, an organization to be around that long, I mean, it can't be a day-to-day thing. It can't be a quarter-to-quarter thing. You can't just think in the short term. And where's somebody going to get the energy for that? Mostly it's going to be the heart. Like, what are they passionate about? What what triggers their heart to work harder for what they're doing, what they're who they're working for? Um, and I think a lot of leaders just forget that. I think they just stick to the results where, I mean, I've worked with a lot of leaders where it's like, you know what, the results are getting, they're getting achieved. And I always ask them, I'm like, okay, but at what cost, if no one is, is happy, if no one is engaged, if no one is empowered, if they're not, you know, if you're not tapping into who they are, their skills, what they want to share, if you're not curious about who they are, what they can bring to the table, that they don't just meet your job description, they can exceed it. Yep. You are not tapping into anything like that. So yes, the, the the results are being delivered, but at what cost? And sooner or later, it, it it's going to fall apart just because those people are going to go somewhere because they see what's out there. I mean, we're in a, we're in a different society now than we were in the fifties or sixties where you had no idea what people were getting paid, what, you know, what yep. jobs were out there. You went to one company and you worked there until your retirement. Yep. But now organizations get mad that people are leaving. It's like, well, if you tap into them the right way, then they would be loyal to you. But who knows? I mean, maybe we're just meant to, to change course every once in a while, but at least err on the side of caution and tap into who somebody is and what drives them. Absolutely. I, I love the way you said that. And it, it, you're right. I often run into skepticism around this practice. I work a lot just based on my background and where we live here in the Northeast with insurance companies and financial services, banking. And so it tends to be a lot of quantitatively oriented people, very results driven. And 
one of the exercises we do in the workshop is to ask people to just reflect on a time in their own career where they've had what they would consider to be their most meaningful recognition, a time where somebody you know did or said or gave them something that they really treasure that meant a lot to them. And we have them reflect on it individually and then share stories in small groups. And then we sort of process what are the common themes? Again, not the details of each story, but what's in common. Yeah. Yeah. And you see people's faces soften as they listen to this and the heads start nodding when what the common themes are from those stories are things like it was personalized. It was unexpected. It came from a source that meant a lot to me. It was presented to me in a way that was clearly aligned with who I am. So for example, we, we know this about people. Some people really thrive on very public recognition and celebratory you know, streamers and blowers <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Other people would rather walk over, you know, hot coals and broken glass than to be the put on that attention. And yeah, yeah, yes, and that's very real. I have two children. One is in the former category, really appreciates the recognition and the praise, and the other one, quite literally, sometimes has a visceral negative reaction. To, and, and that's hard for me because I'm more inclined, you know, the other way. And as a mom, as a parent, I'm. I love her. I'm always wanting to encourage her, but I have really had to work hard to adapt how I do that because I had to recognize that despite what works for me and what works for my other child, uh, it does not work for her. So the the recognition and acknowledgement that people crave in the workplace, it does need to reflect who they who they are. So to yeah. your point about it's not budgets, you know, I never hear people in that exercise tell stories of, oh, I got a five thousand dollar bonus back in 2000 and X, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, that's yeah. not what people, not that people would turn that down and I appreciate exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Which I've always said it's, it's in the, it's in the name itself. It, it's a nice bonus, but, right. um, you know, bonuses come and go. What is the environment going to be like from here on out? What is the recognition or the tools that were provided, the encouragement we're giving? So yeah, the compensation, it really, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but it really only goes so far. Absolutely. Versus when you're working for a boss and, you know, let's say something kind of hits the fan and it requires an all hands on deck effort to get something fixed or get something done. If this is a boss who you admire and respect and you feel like they've had your back when things were tough, that they've invested in you and your development, that they really know you as a person, you're much more likely to say, you know what, I'm in. So send me in, coach. What do you need me to do? And you feel good about it, not resentful that I had to give up a weekend, but it's because you you care about that person and they care about you, which again, in the workplace, some people get a little uncomfortable talking about. It's not about having inappropriate boundaries, but it's about being human in the workplace and acknowledging that these things matter. Relationships matter. So with that base, I mean, we can jump into the other book and just kind of briefly go through how they apply these five practices to um, a new cohort that's, that has that they don't have their leadership titles. But I like that they finally got to that point where they're talking to um, the reader who's not quite at the leadership level, enhancing their leadership practices um, and their awareness before they get to that title. So what yeah. can you tell us about the the second book, Amy? Yeah, I, I love that about this too. Because again, they've been talking about it 
for years about this idea that it doesn't have to be a formal title, but at least to my knowledge, this is the first time it's been pulled together, targeted at that audience. So let's stick with the Encourage the Heart example since we were just there, John, and, and okay. this is just an example of what this other book does. Again, it's the same model, it's the same practices, it's the same behaviors, but talks about it in terms of what can I, without formal authority, leadership do? So you think about encouraging the heart, any of us can do that to any of our coworkers, you know, again, community organizing groups, families, to be thoughtful about recognizing people for telling me you did a really great job on this. The way you did that made such a big difference. And here's what the impact was. I don't need to be the boss to tell a peer as an example, what that is. I remember actually at one point in my career, I won't go into the details, but I was on a team and we had a very difficult boss and she particularly didn't like me. Um, There's no other way to say it. And I was a little bit of the target of of some of her wrath at times. <laughs> and my <laughs> peers, <laughs> she, she was not a good leader. Um, you my, and me? <laughs> Come can you on. imagine that I could provoke that? No somebody? Yeah, actually, I can. I can imagine exactly why I do because right, wrong, or indifferent. I, I, I sort of am who I am. So I am going to still be candid with my opinions. I'm going to oh, challenge yeah. something if I think it deserves to be challenged. The idea of formal authority to me, I don't know, I've got some hippie in me somewhere or something, but it's just like I'm respectful of authority and the ways that you kind of have to be, but. I'm, I don't suffer fools gladly. Maybe I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but I just. No, what, what I was going to say is just, um, yeah, it's funny because, you, you you know, we're both introverts. We kind of have like that same background where we're like observant and kind of this work kind of finds us just based on the nature of how we grew up and how we were nature versus mm -hmm. nurture, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, it's funny that when I covered the leadership challenge in my, my own episode in episode one, I had said that uh, challenge the process was me to the core. Mm -hmm. I just have no, no problem, you know, as tactically as possible. And with some, yeah. you know, with some couth um, just because to me, it just doesn't make sense to work in the wrong direction. Um, yes. Everybody putting their resources into the wrong direction. Uh, and some people will know it and they just don't feel it's their place. Right. Me, it's not my place, but I just don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want yeah. to have to come back and do this again. And you can apply that to whether it's a process, a project, a relationship, client relationship, whatever it may be. I, I just, that's one, that's one that's always stood out for me is just challenge the process. It's not intentional, but if I see something where I can add something or contribute and no one else is speaking up, or it may be an uncomfortable conversation. I'm yeah. fine kind of saying, okay, how can we discuss this? Because I, anything that is untouchable in that nature, it's just going to come back and bite you later. So I would rather get in front of it. Absolutely. So let me try to connect some dots that are bouncing around in my head here. So what you just <laughs> sure, said sure. is our, our natures are very similar around challenge the process. I was working for a boss at the time who, while she challenged the process herself, she did not create the environment where others could do that. It was sort of a threat to her authority, it seemed. That's how, you, that's how she interpreted it. Yeah, and I, and I, so it was, you know, I got a negative reaction. When I would try to do exactly what you were saying, I just, this is for the good of the cause. I'm trying to be diplomatic about it. It's yes. just, I think there's something we ought to look at differently here. She did not appreciate it. 
but to the encourage the heart and the example of everyday people, extraordinary leadership. What happened in that case is my peers bought me some flowers, had them sent to my desk at work and sent just a lovely note that said something to the effect of, we appreciate you. Thank you for, you know, being willing to jump in the buzzsaw regularly for the <laughs> benefit of the team. You know, it was something along those lines. And that meant so much to me because I felt like people who matter to me, who I respect and who were demonstrating respect to me are saying that they see me, that they appreciate something I do. They were not in a formal position of authority. Yeah. They didn't need to do something like that. This, and, uh, and I I imagine one of them probably had the idea and got the others involved. I don't know who that was, but yeah, I love that, that so much though that um, what you just noted about the the stock that you take in the feedback or the support that you get from those you respect, because mm -hmm. I find that so many people take to heart criticisms criticisms from people that they don't respect, mm -hmm. um, that they don't respect for a myriad of yeah. different reasons, but, um, yeah, it's almost like you have to pay attention to where you're, where you're taking your criticisms, where you're getting your feedback. It's not to say that you only listen to those who are doing good things for you, but can always consider the source. So it's, it's, I think it's awesome that you just mentioned that you consider the source. These are people you respected so much. So it meant a lot because of that respect that you have for them. Absolutely. And that, to your point of all of us, even early career, we're beginning to form our personal brand. People are looking at us and paying attention to what we're doing, how we're doing it, how we're treating people. This can start, I mean, it could start at the birthday party you referenced earlier, right? Maybe there was at least one kid who kind of uh, saw the bullying going on and redirected that energy and brought people back together. I mean, it really can happen that early in, in life. But let me, I'm going to just hold this up, not because I think that your viewers will be able to actually read it per se, but the mm -hmm. way this book is organized is again, for each of these practices, it okay. describes some very specific things that um, people can do within it. So just okay. as an example, in model the way, um, talks about clarifying your values. So the specific actions that it's encouraging people can take is really explore your own inner territory, discover your voice and build an ish and affirm shared value. So it gives some very practical things that people can do to bring out their leadership again, regardless of, of formal authority. Yeah. I think uh, up until I heard about this book that you're just sharing with me, I think for I mean, this the, the the original leadership challenge is one that I've bought for people, mm -hmm. um, a few graduates, but I don't know. I guess that one does make more sense because they may read this and not quite understand that even if they're not in that leadership title, they can move forward with these practices where that one may outline and give them better examples that are closer to home in terms of what they can practice without having reached because I, I read this and it's about leadership um, and it talks about formal leadership. But even as I read it, I was just like, wow, this is all stuff that anyone can do. Yes. But someone else may read it and say, well, I'm not a leader, so I can't quite do that stuff yet. So, I mean, they did a great thing by putting out that that second book that you have right there. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's, it's terrific. Bring, just bring it, make it even more accessible to an even broader swath of the population. So. 
Amy, are Great there stuff. any other uh, examples in that book that you could that stand out to you or sections? Um, I, I, there's just so much. It's hard to pick a particular thing. What, I think what, what about what about challenge the process? Since we're both fans of challenge the process, yeah. What kind of you don't have to read anything from those chapters, but what do the subtitle the the subheaders look like for for uh, challenge the process? So the first one piece it talks about is seizing the initiative for improvement. So the three sub things there are make something happen. So just take the initiative to make something happen, make challenge meaningful. So this gets to that idea that I was talking about a moment ago. Don't be the naysayer. Don't be the contrarian who just every single time an idea comes up, you feel like your job is to knock it down. That's not what this- You can't challenge for the sake of challenging. Exactly. People get sick of that. It's tiring. Yeah. And then there's there's no discriminating sense of when you think you really do have a better mousetrap. It's just like, let me shoot at everybody <laughs> else's, like, right? Like the boy, <laughs> yeah, the boy that cried wolf kind of thing. Right. And then um, look outward for fresh ideas. So part of what this body of work encourages formal and informal leaders is to really have the professional discipline to stay current read, read from sources that, you know, are, are new and, and different benchmark organizations that really are not in your own industry necessarily, but it's something that you may be able to learn from in the leadership challenge workshop within again, challenge the process. We often tell a story about, um, uh, airlines, uh, Southwest airlines already one of the best on many, many measures, but they wanted to increase their, um, on ground turnaround time uh, performance because planes, airlines make money when planes are in the air and people are in the seats, not when they're on the ground and on the tarmac. Um, but to do that, they looked at NASCAR. How do how do these pit crews <laughs> take this, you know, screaming machine and whoosh, 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 and boom, it's back out, you know? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the insights came to the idea of parallel processing and the efficiencies and things like that. So if you've been on a plane, I haven't been lately, but you know, certainly over the last number of years, as soon as that plane stops, you notice now the cleaning crew is in there and they're picking stuff up and they're doing things like before everybody just sported, just, uh, disembark. Thank you. Disported totally was not right. Uh, (laughs) I got got you though. I got you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and so anyway, that's just a small example of, I think, one of the ways that, you know, airlines look to say, how do we do what we do better? You know, looking at Disney, how people move moving. So anybody can do that. You can be the voice on your team or in your organization that has interesting, innovative ideas. You don't have to be the leader. Most organizations are some form of a staff meeting or something. You know, be the person that is is thinking differently, looking outside for new and different ways to do things. So those are just a couple of small examples. I just, I just remember just so many graduate students that felt like they had nothing to bring to the table. Um, I I don't know if it's because they, they were preparing for their careers. So I don't know if they just pictured that they had to be completely polished, completely in control. I mean, we go through career practice and interviewing, mock interviewing resumes, your LinkedIn, uh, so I guess there is that pressure of looking a certain way, which is good. You want to seem organized. You want to be organized, not seem. 
Uh, but I think in all that, they forget to bring who they are to the workplaces. And I think a book like this would allow them, kind of give them permission, kind of not even permission, but just remind them that there's a lot that they can bring to the table that isn't really necessarily based on the knowledge that they gained in their degree, that they forget to bring themselves into the workplace, who they are. Um, I agree. Their value overall. I just... Even at that young age, just so much gets um, left on the table because they they feel they have to check the boxes of a job description. But mm -hmm. if you have more capability and ability than that, it's kind of like, okay, they're not asking that of me. Um, and they may not be happy, but their happiness may lie in the ability of maybe bringing in more of themselves to where they are. Mm -hmm. I got to, yeah. I got to, I need to pick up that book, the, yeah. the one. I think I think you'll really enjoy it. There is, of course, also a, a student version of this. So if you are working a lot with students, or if, if your listeners are, uh, there's that as well. Because and you told me a story. I'd love to have you you share it if you haven't already with your listeners, because I forget the details. But of a you were coaching somebody, and he was a captain of a baseball team that hadn't. What what was that? I I mean, it was one of these. Um... At the University of Hartford, they had invited me back along with some other uh, alumni to um, or alums to just coach. So it's kind of like mock interviews. It's kind of asking them questions like their elevator pitch, whatever it may be. And I forget what the exercise was, the specific exercise in which we were. But, um, you know, aside from the papers of the exercises, I want to kind of get an idea of who somebody is, mm -hmm. because I, I just learned like a lot of what we ask doesn't necessarily tell us the full story of who we're talking to or with. And um, I think I had asked him something and his response was, well, you know, I haven't worked through college, so I don't have much to bring to the table when I leave here. And I, so I asked him, I'm like, okay, if you're not working, you know, what do you do? And he said he, he was on the baseball team. He was the captain of the baseball team. Um, <laughs> so I just, I put up my hand. I'm like, okay, you got, discipline you have um more discipline you have three <laughs> times as much discipline as anybody else because you have to get up at a certain time you have to work out you got teamwork um you can't party as much as everybody else does because your coach mm -hmm. is going to be on you about that mm -hmm. you have leadership because obviously somebody voted you into being the team captain so mm -hmm. again because the check boxes didn't match what he had already achieved and right. he may just be coasting. He just may be going through his life, but not realizing that this isn't just whether, whether it's um, your love for baseball, whether it's a scholarship, that it's not just that, but that all of these tools, all of these experiences that he had and other people in similar situations, that there's always a story to tell where you may not think there's a story. Mm -hmm. So it was just fascinating to me where he didn't he didn't know enough to say, I've done this in college. I've been captain of the baseball team. You know, this is why, this is what I contribute. This is how disciplined I am. Um, so yeah, it was, it was shock. I couldn't believe that he's like, yeah, I haven't really achieved much. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. But that's, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about is where it's not just the, the degree or the diploma or the curriculum achieved, mm -hmm. but it's your life experiences, everything that you've done and this is what I've done more and more with clients and younger clients that I've uh, volunteered with students. Uh, everything is applicable in some fashion. We just discount our own stories more than we should and way too easily right. and quickly. Right. 
And when we intentionally reflect on it, I think we all find ways that we are leaders uh, in our lives. Um, we look th through that lens, a la the story that you just shared. But that's where I think this uh, this one helps bring that out for people to recognize themselves. Oh, yeah, I actually I have done things like that or I could do things like that. Yeah. So, Amy, I think we gave a, a good breakdown of both books. So generally, overall, how would you how would you share this? Or actually, I want to take a step back. Once you once you came across the leadership challenge, did all the training, what was what was the notice the noticed shift in your behavior, maybe in your life, your personal life, or your demeanor once you had gone through that, or once you came across the book? Was there a shift? between before the book and after the book in just the way you looked at things what what did you take away from the book when you when you read it i know it led you into the work that you're doing but how would right. you how would you verbalize that to somebody that specifically this is what i took away from this book what a great question so i guess i'll answer that in a couple of ways and again try to keep it brief i'm loving sure, this sure, conversation sure. but i'm trying to be cognizant of time too so for me um one of the impacts it's had on me is I now see leadership lessons everywhere I go. So like I, I go to a movie and <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's inspire yeah. shared vision. Oh, that's, yeah. you know, that's encouraging the heart. What they just did there. <laughs> yeah. so, that's bad. That's bad. It, I know. I just want to enjoy right? the movie. <laughs> the good yeah. news is I do enjoy the movie, but I can't help like these things. They just, it just comes at me, but it's to me, it's fun, and it also allows me to hopefully keep my my stories and my points of reference and my workshops, you know, current and a little bit more interesting um, yeah. uh, in terms of uh, just how this does show up in everyday life. You know, I think you know, so so my own leadership it's impacted me as a parent, in addition to how um, how it's impacted my my practice, which is the main way. Um, it, it it helps me really think about the issues as you were saying, not only of modeling the way, but you know, what what is the shared vision for our family? What do I want our family to be like, to feel like to all of us? You know, certainly the 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 kids is a natural place of orientation for that discussion, but my marriage, you know, what do I want my yeah. marriage to to be like? And and like many things in life, when we're not intentional about those things, they can just sort of wither yes, you know yes that's that's a huge factor is that intentionality like yeah. being proactive versus just reacting to everything that happens to us yeah so i, I apply it in in everyday life and in, in lots of different ways we've both mentioned this but i'd say fundamentally the the key takeaway from for me after working with this material for so many years is just the the beauty of the evidence and the research and the practicality of it it just, I don't know, maybe it, what's, what's the show me state? Is that uh, Missouri or the what? <laughs> there's, some, there's a show me state, one, some state that has their uh, state motto is the show me state. Really? <laughs> but any, uh, yeah, I know. Did you just make that up? I did not make that up again. So we'll have to, we'll have to follow up I'll with some book that. notes on yeah. this episode to make sure yes, I have the right exactly. authors and references, but there is a show me state. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but everyone it's, it's, at minute like, 65 yeah. or 75, uh, that's a lie. I don't know where she came yeah. up with that, but that's BS. That's funny. But it's uh, it's just the idea, like, prove it, prove it to me, right? Yeah. So this, yeah. to me, there's there's just so much proof. There's so much evidence. And it's so anybody can can do it. 
Um, don't need a special personality. Don't need special skills. It's it's something that's accessible to anybody who has the desire, because it certainly does take desire, to become a better leader. So I mean, yeah, you just. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please. No, I was just going to say you just jumped into the next question, which was generally what are the lessons you would ask others to take away, no matter what their background is, or. Um, so I try to get specifically what were your takeaways generally, what would you say to others? But I think we've shared so much about how others can take away from, uh, from these, from these books, actually the two books. Yeah, I, I agree, John. I think we sort of covered that naturally through the rest of our d dialogue. It's it, but it does boil down to that fundamental thing. All of us can be leaders. All of us can be more effective leaders. Um, and <clears throat> it's, Sometimes I open my workshops with sort of this image of, you know, the secret sauce, you know, a big jar of spaghetti sauce that says the secret sauce, but then say, it's actually not a secret. That's the good news. Uh, I, yeah. I, yeah. In one, just one workshop. Open your eyes sometimes. Yeah. I, I did a workshop out in Seattle a couple of years ago and there was a young woman in the, uh, in the class that at the end of the second day where people are starting to, you know, gather up and say their goodbyes, people had come in from all over the country. And in that case, actually all over the world to gather for this particular workshop. And she just was looking a little overwhelmed or forlorn. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I, you know, found my way over to her just to check in. And I, I honestly don't remember her name, but I said, how, how are you doing? And she just looked at me, she goes, you know, I just wish somebody had told me this a decade ago when I started being a leader she, she was just feeling this sense of, I, I've been doing some things sort of wrong and I didn't need to. To, to, to your point about the efficiency element of challenge the process, right? I wasted a lot of time. I impacted people more negatively than I needed to, you know, trying to be the leader who is more authoritarian and, you know, never let them see a sweat kind of thing. And And this model spoke to her so much more in terms of her opportunity to bring out who she uniquely is as a leader and to be comfortable in that space. And it really just struck me. It's why, it's why I love the work that I do. It's, it's snippets of interactions like that, where you just know this person's life, their leadership, and therefore the hundreds of people they're going to interact with. There's just been a positive ripple there. And that is very, very satisfying to me. I will never know those people. I will never know the specifics. I don't need to. I know in my heart that she's going to be a different person and a better leader to people. And I love that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, um, she talked about the number of years, but I mean, it's for me, as long as somebody realizes at some point comes across that realization, builds that self-awareness and then tries to make a different from that, a difference from that point forward to me, it's like, okay, I mean, that's great. As long as you try to make that difference and try to espouse those lessons going forward, that's that's the amazing part. We are a lot alike because that's pretty much what I said to her. At that moment. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, it's um, I don't know. It just everything just kind of clicks and falls into place. Uh, so, Amy, before we go, I just want to know: is there any whatever you wanted to share about your company or what you're up to these days? Anything that you would want people to know about? Um, obviously, I'll share your social media wherever I post uh, the the video as well as the audio. But if there's anything you want to highlight um, that's coming up for you or just in general, please please share with us. Terrific! I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> 
as opposed to a specific event or anything, I guess what I would just share is that during the pandemic, like everybody who does what we do, I did a lot of shifting to be able to deliver my services virtually. And it's talking about challenge the process, right? (laughs) And and it's been a very satisfying experience. So I guess what I would just share is to let people know that I've been able to transform this workshop and others that I do into virtual delivery. So especially now with the Delta variant coming in and people, I think, being again a little bit like, hmm, thought we were going back in the classroom. Now I'm not sure. Um, Just to share that I've invested a lot of time in making sure that this workshop can be delivered effectively virtually. One of the things I've done is I've invested in learning a new tool called GroupMind, which is an online collaboration tool. And without going into the details of it, just I'm weaving that into my workshops in ways that help me replicate what I would do in the classroom in terms of breakout groups and whiteboards and sharing and comparing themes in the various discussions to really help people feel like they're there and together. Because so much of the learning in these workshops comes from the participants learning from one another. Yes, I truly view my role as a facilitator of the content and the knowledge, but there's so much wisdom in any room, real or virtual. And then the other thing is just, this is very undeveloped, but I have found, again, I think pandemic um, motivated a bit, a real interest lately in the topic of helping people have meaningful conversations, difficult conversations, courageous conversations, you know, the, the political environment, the social justice movements, it's, it's just got people so amped up and often in negative ways. And just trying to use what I've learned and my skills and my interests around human connection and communication for good. So I don't know what that looks like yet, but I've been doing a lot of my current reading is on, you know, some of the classic books of um, crucial conversations and courageous conversations. But also yep. I've been branching out into reading about nonviolent communication, Rosenberg's work, uh, restorative justice. You know, I was trying to think of, is there a way I can apply some of my my skills and talents to this broader societal angst that we're experiencing to help people connect and have good quality conversation. And some of that I'm sure will still, it, it's very applicable in the workplace. There's conflict in any workplace where there's more than two people that work there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I do a lot of that in the team building work that I do, which we haven't talked about a lot, but um, but there's something burning in me that's uh, not yet developed. So more more to come, or perhaps when I, one of those books, I'll come back and do another one on the on what I've learned about nonviolent oh, yeah, communication and how it applies. But that's a of sort of yeah, that's always that's always a great compliment for me when somebody's like, yeah, I'd love to come back and do another one. I'm like, all right, I just got to go back, do some more, and then I'll yeah. circle back to you. Of course. And if there's anything that I can help with, I, I, I agree. Um, just watching all the conversations that are taking place, whether it's social justice or just the tension in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done mediation in the past and it's just kind of, it's a combination of like leadership and mediation, but there is something there. It's just all about how to structure it because I think so many of the conversations are obviously they're impassioned, but, um, it's just the facilitations of conversations I think is where the disconnection, most of the disconnection comes up because I think a, a lot of people, not all, but a good number of people want the same thing, but it's just all these conversations are so nuanced and they mm-hmm. don't want to come to like a common table. They don't want to, um, 
forego anything, but they don't know that they don't have to, that there's a way to get to that table without giving anything up. But absolutely, if there's anything that I can help with, let me know. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Uh, thank you for having me. And I hope that your listeners find some value and pick up one or both of these books. I thought it was awesome. I'm glad that we got to cover this book now in this second episode. And I, you brought in uh, a great perspective to it. Um, and that's the, that's the great thing about covering the same book, different people is just, they have their own words, their own passions about what it means to them. So thank you so much, Amy, for sitting down with me. You're most welcome. Thank you. And thank you everybody else for watching and listening. Please subscribe where you're watching. Please subscribe where you're listening. If there's anything that I might've missed that I should have asked Amy, please email me and let me know. Uh, I will make sure to get in touch with her and follow up with somebody, uh, with something on social media. Um, in the moment, it's tough to come up with other questions. And I, I already have like my curiosity about tangents asking like one off. So if there's anything I missed, just let me know. But in the meantime, take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.